Hi everybody, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development for our Educators Podcast. It's my honour to have with us Jason Hasty, Dr. Jason Hasty, who is the Executive Director of Education Programs for the LA County Office of Education. Jason, nice to have you with us. Thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm really excited about being a part of this and I appreciate the invitation. Well, we're delighted to have you here. I think it would be great for you to explain for everyone your role and the uniqueness of the environment you work in. Um, so my role, um, I oversee schools for, um, again, the Los Angeles County. We have about, we see roughly around 6,000 different students throughout the year. Um, and the county schools are run different. Um, within LA County, Los Angeles County in California, we have 80 different school districts and so what we have, um, the, the county has its own district, if you will, and it's a smaller group. And so we serve um, mainly uh, a few different types of students. I can explain it. Um, one is expelled youth. So students who may not have worked out in regular schools and they were expelled. And we have these schools called county community schools. They're going to be smaller educational environments with roughly, um, you know, one classroom type settings. And we call that alternative education. Um, another type of school we have are for incarcerated youth. So um, you may have heard the term called juvenile halls or where kids, if they um, break the law on some level, they would be incarcerated for a certain amount of time. Um, we have um, juvenile halls and then students as they adjudicate or they get sentenced, they may go to what's called a juvenile detention camp. Um, and we have roughly two juvenile halls. We have five uh, camps. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, we have two different types of schools, which are called, spe they're called specialized high schools. And we have two of those specialized high schools. One is called the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. Um, it is ranked the number one public art school in the country, in, in the U.S. Um, and by far, it's probably um, one of the most uh, amazing places you'll ever be, um, you know, as far as the level of talent and what, what the type of students you see go through there. Um, so we, we do have... Um, a group of students who are at the top of their arts level, whether it be in visual arts. Um, we have kids that are, you know, you know, making things out of clay. They're doing, you know, paintings, and we have a, um, we have theater. So students who are acting and also doing musical theater. We have the instrumental arts, which so students who are playing an instrument. We have the vocal music as well, um, and then. The other one, we have dance. And so, um, and, oh, and then we also have cinematic arts, so students who actually make film there. And, and that's pretty incredible. Then we have our other school, which is called International Polytechnic High School. Um, that school is a project-based learning, 21st century learning school. Um, and again, students get into those two schools, one by audition or interview. Um, a student would get into iPoly um, by interview, and, and they're going to um, go through what's called, we call it the Buck um, Institute, which is a project-based learning model. And they would follow that. And many students, you'll find out, they um, graduate um, with their associate's degree or a full year of college already completed by the time they graduate. Both of those schools are co-located on universities. One's on Cal State University's campus, the other one's on um, Cal Poly Pomona's campus. So those are the, it's, a, it's a wide gamut of schools we service. And I oversee pretty much the basic functions of those schools, um, such as just the overall accountability. I work with the budget. Um, I work with facilities and um, just, you know, with the unions and all those pieces. And that, that's my role to really support um, all those students and the, the functions of those schools. So I would imagine with such a diverse group of students, you would need a diverse group of faculty or teachers and there would be diverse ranges of stakeholders. Why don't you share some of those challenges and how you navigate those? Well, one of our big things, you know, at, at, we call it LACO, by the way, Los Angeles County Office of Education at LACO. 
we're really big about equity and access among all groups. And that is something we look at across the board um, from our higher, highest functioning students. You know, who has access to this program? Is it equitable? And how can we get students to get access and succeed in those environments? All the way down, you know, if we, if we look at the other side of that for juvenile halls or, or incarcerated settings, um, I, 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 that's where my heart is um, with incarcerated students. Um, we have students that just haven't experienced or had that equity that come from, you know, family situations or home environments that just didn't, you know, that, that didn't give them that access. So um, with that said, when we are looking at staffing in general, um, we are looking at that equity and access lens. We want somebody that has that personal philosophy that is really looking at students as a whole child. Um, they're going to understand no matter whether it's talent or behavior, you know, they're really looking at a whole child as to why they're there. We call, we call that trauma-informed teaching. So, you know, we look at that piece and we're also looking at the social justice lens too. So with that said, our, our staff, um, you know, we are very considerate on how we select staff, um, you know, to, to really work with our students. Um, we're really big about a student-centered approach um, you know, we, we put the student at the center of everything, um, even with the learning as well. Um, in our incarcerated settings, we've um, um, implemented something called the Road to Success Academy, which is a project-based learning social-emotional um, framework. It's a curriculum instruction framework. So students are going to be um, working in collaborative groups. They're going to be doing projects. Um, and on top of that, they're going to be connecting the content um, with their own emotional growth. So that's really tied to that Buck Institute model where we're looking at that um, essential question and, and just really everything they are learning, they're tying back to themselves and where they are in their lives and how, where they're, where they're going to be going. Um, so that, that's a part of it. And we also explain that when we're looking at our staffing as well. Um, we want to make sure that we're bringing educators in that are taking things way beyond just the curriculum and instruction piece, but really making the learning meaningful. And they understand this, that there are strategies that we want employed to engage students, to connect with them, to really change them emotionally through this process. So before we um, were faced with this challenge of the pandemic and schools closing and moving things virtual, what role did, I imagine the creative high school, you would have been pretty deep into ed tech, but how was it across your organization? How did it change? Where is it now, now that you're moving into the next phase? So our principles, as far as equity and access, are at the forefront. Um, you know, we, we look at what we're doing for incarcerated youth, and we also look at what we're doing at these specialized schools, high schools, and we, we're, we ask those questions, you know, does everybody have access, you know, depending on how the model changes, and we really put that at the, the root level of what we're trying to do. So, I, I mean, you know, and, and we ask that question a lot, like, well, is this for all students? How are we going to make sure all students have that? We look at students with disabilities. We look at students who are talented. We want to make sure that they have access. The biggest change uh, overall, I mean, again, the different settings um, with our incarcerated settings, those are congregate living facilities. So students are actually living there. It's not like I'm sending them home and I hope their parents can connect them on the internet. Um, we have students that are at school all the time in these facilities. So um, one of the challenges but is, is we're still bringing students into classrooms, um, but now you know, we have teachers that are working remotely to teach them. Um, so the big thing is just you know, looking at how that delivery is um, you know, happening. Um, one of the things you know, with equity and access is making sure the staff have the proper training, they have the proper tools. And so a big shift we had to look at right away was you know, does, does our staff have the ability to do this from their own homes? Um, so therefore, there was a huge push to get everybody their own device. They didn't have laptops. They got their laptops. If they didn't get their Wi-Fi, we got their Wi-Fi. Um, 
I've never seen um, our tech, any tech services at any school district move the way our group has to really transform just the what they did and the expediency and the efficiency of how we did it. Um, I, I have to say, before March, we were talking about innovation in education, and this is in some ways one of the best things that's happened to push the innovation into new territories we never thought possible. Um, I, I can't say every day I look at and I get giddy, I get excited about just the change that I've seen people make in their not only personal lives, but just the professional and just the technological innovation that's happening, but also transformation with them personally as they've had to endure, they've had to persevere. Um, they've had to show really true grit to learn the device, to learn the, you know, Zoom, <laughs> to learn, you know, Teams. And, um, and, and so that was the big thing. So we, we really looked at that and said, does everybody understand how to use the tools? Because we want students to have access. And, and really, when you start at those root levels, like how are we going to ensure, no matter how poor, how rich, what environment, any student is in is going to have that access, we start there and we start looking at the training. So we get our staff all the training, we get our, our students all the equipment. You know, and we had to work with agency partners because even in probation facilities, we call them probation, um, or, or secured care, um, we have to work with agency partners that are gonna move the students into those rooms to make sure even, you know, that virtual learning can actually happen. And so, so with that said, the transformation has been incredible. I think though the principles and the root beliefs of where we are has kind of been um, the, the saving grace to really be the anchor as to what we need to do to make this work through it all. So I, I can't say that enough. If you guys as an organization can say, this is what we believe in through a pandemic, <laughs> through a tornado, through any, you know, a cyclone, anything, you know, we, if we have these root beliefs in place, we can really weather a storm and get through it. And I think that's what's really helped us. And on top of that, because of the principles, we've been able to transform in a way we never thought possible. You're obviously very passionate. It oozes from <laughs> when you're talking about this. Um, you've done your doctorate in education, and I'd be interested for you to share with the people who are watching this, what was your decision around why get a doctorate, first of all, and secondly, why do an EDD versus a PhD? Yeah, so as an um, educator, um, I think we all can agree, many of us are lifelong learners. Um, I, I just love being in a classroom. <laughs> I love that there was one more um, thing I could I could do to learn, um, and it was and, and I chose the University of Southern California, and it was just it's it's local to me. If you're going to be in Los Angeles County, um, you know I would always recommend anybody should go to the University of Southern California, especially when you're talking about a doctorate. Doctorate versus PhD. The PhD programs um, would would require me to really give up a lot of what I was already doing. Um, and again, where we live, PhD program, it would have been quit your job, do this research for amount of time. And, and it would have been really hard because I was at a level where um, I, I just for one, wasn't gonna need to do that or had to do that. Um, the other thing with PhD, PhD I consider that's the research. You, you, we're gonna create the real research um, that we're gonna put into practice. EDD is the study of the practice. So, you know, the PhD creates the research that will eventually become the practice. I'm a practitioner. So, and that, and that, that root belief in who I am and what program I needed, I, I am putting a lot of the, the research done by PhDs or that work into practice. Um, and, and additionally, the pro program was just a fit for me as far as um, USC is concerned. 
Um, I did get to study 21st century learning um, in educational environments. Also, um, we actually went to Ireland and we got to study um, 21st century learning and project-based learning in, in, in Ireland um, and just seeing how another country did it um, differently and really came to, um, you know, in Ireland, they, made, they did a trans they really transformed to meet the needs of, um, for one, the country and also the students there. And it's just, it was really incredible because I, I, I was able to see an international model and then take it back to where I am now. I know that we have people in our Masters of Education who are making that decision now, so it's really valuable that you share that. So for our aspiring leaders, Jason, the ones, just in the next couple of minutes, those that are aspiring for leadership or maybe they're thinking of moving to another level of leadership, what would you say are some key experiences or aptitudes that they should develop to be successful? I, I think the one, the, the top thing um, is your core beliefs. You need to really know who you are and why you're, why you're doing this job. Um, I, I look at children in my classrooms, no matter what, what classroom they're in, and I, I ask the simple question, you know, what would I want for my own ch children? I have my own children, and it's, it's a very basic principle for me, um, but just really knowing what you stand for is, is really critical to being an effective leader. Um, because as you move up, there will, um, you're going to have different um, stakeholders that will be needing different things. And therefore, you know, you, the more you stray from those core beliefs, the harder it's going to be for you to feel that, um, that contentment in what you're doing and the idea that you're really truly making change. Uh, as far as the second piece, you know, you really got to know, I, 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 heard the, I heard the best phrase um, in my doctorate program. It was just really good. You got to be an excellent manager to be a great leader. Um, and so I can't say enough that you need to try to learn all you can about the school. Um, I, I've really taken, um, I almost have a list and I've taken um, initiative to learn every piece. Um, I, I, you know, I wanted to learn about HR. So I asked if I could be on um, the, the negotiations team because I wanted to learn that process of negotiations. Um, and again, it was outside of what I was doing and it was hard to do my job and do that too. Um, so, you know, going above and beyond is a, is a key piece to really knowing what you, you know, learning what you want to do and also getting better and getting that, um, the overall uh, concept and the framework is what's how the school's working. Um, because I think a lot of times we, you know, as we go in as teachers, I, I was an English teacher. I knew English classrooms. I knew how that worked. I knew the curriculum, but understanding the, the larger organization is really key. And I think the bigger part is that being open to understand it because sometimes, you know, we have a job to do and that's what we're going to do. But really I think um, if anybody wants to get into school administration needs to understand how decisions affect the broader organization and then that'll help you down the line when you're really for one making decisions or you're being asked to do different tasks as a leader so you said your core beliefs be very clear on what they are and know the school and understand decision making absolutely and and, and, the, and, the, and how it affects the broader the, the broader organization um, because if you know the different pieces for instance also i just finished uh, my uh my school business program, I did another program at USC this last year, and I got to learn how budgets work. I got to learn how the contracts work, worked, um, how the facilities worked, and all the little nuances, which I, I, I find terribly boring. <laughs> but, but again, it, I, I realized once I realized, you know, why, how this was affecting other decisions and other pieces of the organization, it has just helped me so much more understand the grand scope of what we're trying to do. Dr. Jason, really want to thank you for your time. 
for your wisdom and sharing the just the diversity that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. So thanks very much for doing this podcast with us. Thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor to be a part of this, and I, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity.